your neighbor and say, the seed you sow will be the future you hold. Your seed you sow will be the future you hold. Your seed is the potential promise of your future. The temptation will always be to eat the seed that you know you have rather than wait for the harvest of that thing to bring to you. So we get tempted sometimes to take what we have and say, this is for me. I will consume it for myself because we have the fear if we don't do that, we'll never be able to enjoy it. The truth is, if I was to hand out seeds tonight, let's say apple seeds, whatever kind of seed, let's just say an apple seed to you tonight. If you were to eat that seed, it may give you some nutrition, not much. But it may give you some nutrition, but when you bite into it, every face in this place would go, ooh, why would you do that? Because it's bitter. Seeds are not meant to be eaten that way. They're bitter to you. So when you eat the seed that God gave you for actually a harvest, it will become bitter to you. So the thing that looks so small that maybe you think I can get a meal out of it today is actually potential of your harvest for tomorrow. This ministry church actually stands here uh, because this woman and myself decided that we were going to sow many years ago. And um, we started... Uh, we started back in the day, uh, 1989, when my folks uh, had come to us and said they're going to start a church in Beloit, and wanted to know if we'd be a part of it, and we wanted to be a part of it, and and so uh, you know none, none of us knew anything about church building at all, uh, just that God had spoken to do it, and so we did that, and many you know the story, and it wasn't too much longer, and my wife and I were promoted into ministry. And our first ministry responsibility, and at the time our only ministry responsibility, was to be the bathroom checkers. So our job was to make sure the building that we were leasing, which was a school building, that all the bathrooms were checked before we left the building to make sure that they were clean the way that we came in. And, you know, uh, the adults didn't do too bad, but them kids, praise God. They don't flush, praise the Lord. And they have spit wads on their mirrors, and they don't they pee everywhere. Come on, somebody. The boys, the boys don't know how to aim. Amen. So we had to clean. That was our job to go and make sure things were clean. And we did that, I don't know how long, for a period of time, maybe up to a year, whatever, however long we were at that facility, about a year. And that was our first, that was our first and only responsibility in ministry, knowing that we were called of God. Um, but we were, I never remember complaining. I remember never, never feeling bad about it or feeling like it was beneath me in any way. Um, just wanted to do it. To me, that was God's way. We didn't have a lot to offer. But, you know, that was our way of being able to give into the ministry. And so we were sowing our seed of our time and our talent, though we gave our tithe and offerings. And so um, the time came, and uh, the Lord spoke to our hearts to, to actually move to Beloit. And so we, at the time, we were living in Rockford and making the 25-minute drive to, to Beloit back. And uh, Nick was just a baby, and we decided we were going we to come up and, and live in, in the Beloit area. And so we sold our house, and we made $10,000 on that house. At the time, my dad had just put up a new, our first new wing of our, of our uh, brand-new building, and we bought the property and then had a small building. Sat maybe about 115, 125 people, a couple offices and a couple bathrooms and a hallway. That was all it was. But it was new, and it was ours. And so, um, but he did not have enough money to buy the chairs. And so um, when we sold the house... Uh, they needed ten grand for the for the um, for the chairs, and my wife and I gave our ten thousand dollars that we sold the house. That was what we made, and we bought the chairs for the church. My dad tried to talk me out of it, 
and said, son, you know, that's all you got. You have to get a house. And I said, dad, you know, I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm doing what you taught me. That is to give, and I'm going to trust God. And so we gave that $10,000. And I can tell you that that $10,000, that was in 1991 when we did that. In 1995, uh, I would have been, uh, I think, 20. I would have been 27. I would have been 27 years old, 26 years old, and um, we got our first brand new car. Never had a brand new car in my life, and we moved into a house we built in Janesville. Come on, somebody with no money down. We built it. You can say what you want, but God will open doors that no man can close if you'll do it God's way. Now, that's just that's a monetary thing, and it doesn't seem like a, a big thing maybe to you, but also it set the stage for our ministry. God could trust us to have our ministry ourselves because we're willing to clean the bathroom if necessary. He knows we're willing to give our last dollar if necessary. So therefore, when the day came for ministry, he could trust us with the ministry. It may be for you, it might be a business. For you, it might be a, a husband or a wife. For you, it might be children. And for you, it might be a, a, a better position or to be promoted. Whatever it may be, your next season of your life, the next cycle of your life, because that's, that's what we're talking about. I don't know, son, what's going on with my microphone, but it's going in and out. So just so you know. And so, um, and the truth of the matter is, is that because of that, God's looking to see what we're willing to do today. So everybody say, I have a seed, and my seed will meet every need. Look what it says in Mark chapter 4. We went over this last week, but real quick, Mark 4, 26. And he said, the kingdom of Jesus talking, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed, there it is again, on the ground, and he should sleep by night and rise by day. He ain't worried about anything. He goes right to bed. He plants it, goes to bed, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself doesn't know. He doesn't have to have the engineering skills. He doesn't have to have the, um, the biology to know how this works, right? He just knows if he plants it, it'll come to pass. And then he says, um, for the earth yields crops by itself. Uh, first the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. In other words, I said there's a process, there's a process. It comes, it gets planted, goes in the ground, it germinates, it produces roots, then it comes up. So there's much more going on beneath the surface that can't be seen that's necessary for the growth and the fruit to come to pass on what we can see. So in, the, in other words, you have a promise in the seed of the provision that you need, but you've got to go through the process of faith to get it. Once it's planted, i got to go to bed, relax, God's on assignment, I just do what I've got to do, and after that, the rest is history. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Duh, it's easy once you see the harvest. It's that patient part of waiting for that harvest to come. Amen. So once I plant the seed, I just got to wait for it. And again, this ministry came out of something else that God began to look and see in our own our world to see if we we're willing to do something for him. And we felt led to go to Madison, Wisconsin. Most of you know that story. We call it the Madison Experience. And we went there, and it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out. And it, we couldn't get it to grow. And, I mean, it did a little bit, but not to the level that we wanted. To, we believed in our hearts we could produce. And... Um, but we were faithful to what God said to do. And, and, and we went back and we really, even though I was discouraged, I really put in the effort, both of us did. And, and we saw a little bit. God began to, he gave us a little bit. But, you know, God's trying to see what I'm able to manage. Even if I'm discouraged, what can you manage, boy? So, um, so anyways, um, we, we, we made that real, that, that real go. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. 
and gave me a vision to come to Milwaukee. And that's a great story, but the truth is that's just, that's the, that's just the bottom line, to go leave there and to come here. And so we endeavored to do that. Well, on our way of planning and strategizing to come here for about five or six months, uh, we went back to Beloit to the ministry that we're from and helped my dad there for those time, that time frame. And um, a prophet came in, and the prophet uh, did not know him. Didn't, he didn't even know my dad. It was a fluke thing that he came through, and he, my dad uh, went on the recommendation of another, another pastor, had him come in. And uh, he saw me, had me come forward, and he said, I see transition written over your head. And he said, I see you planting seed in another city, but it hasn't come up. The crop has not come up the way you thought it should. But the Lord says, that's all right. He said, because now that I'm going to have you go and reap a harvest in another city. In other words, God was saying to me, what you were doing in Madison was not a loss. It looked like nothing was going on, but you were doing what I asked you to do. Therefore, you were planting seed to reap a harvest somewhere else. Come on, church. God knows exactly. And if I could be so bold to say this, I'll say this. There were many other people before me because what I saw in the vision God gave me to come were people that were praying. People had been praying for this type of a ministry to come into the city. And so, and so uh, God was hearing the seeds or the prayers and intercession of the saints for us to be here. There were other preachers that came here and prophesied. There were other pastors that were here and prophesied. There were other evangelists and prophets that came and prophesied. And they were all planting seed for what you see today. As a matter of fact, the very building you are in, we're not the first church that tried to get the building. As a matter of fact, I didn't know this until after we, were, we had the building, but a person, after we bought it for about a year, we were here, and a guy came in and was so happy that a church had got the building. And it was a pastor, and he was here pastoring at the time. And he said, we were here, and God spoke to me to, to stop by this building and pray that God would put a church in this building. Now watch this. Remember my story about I told you God told me to walk around seven times? I didn't hear anybody else doing that. God told me to do that. Matter of fact, the prophet that I just told you about that saw transition said, there's a building waiting for you in Milwaukee, and not Milwaukee, but in this next city, and when you get there, you'll see it and know it, walk around it seven times and claim it. So I saw the building, did what God asked me to do, but I did not know a year or two prior to that, another pastor had walked around the building. God said, walk around it seven times and claim it for a church. God's always got his people planting seeds. The harvest may not come up the way you think, but that harvest will come up. God rewards your obedience. God cannot give you what you're unprepared to manage. Everything about your life is a setup to get you stronger, to get you better, to prepare you more so that you're able and capable of handling the success that he wants to bring to you. Look, look at Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Uh, Jesus spoke another parable and said, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Mm. Then he said to, a, to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Jesus, I believe, was saying, from what I've seen in the scriptures, I want you to deal with it. How much longer are you going to look at something that's not producing fruit? At some point, it's got to produce fruit or it's got to be cut out of your life. And the Bible says that you, you're, he anoints you to deal with it. Because I think so often you and I 
are asking God to deal with the issue. But that's why he puts you in this city, in that family, on that job, in that neighborhood, with that family, with that husband, with that wife. Amen. So then what? So you will deal with it. Manage what he gives to you. He said you can't call Christ up from the abyss or call him down from above. But what does he say? The word is near you, in your heart, in your mouth, the word of faith which we preach. In other words, I've given you power. I've given you authority. And then he said, I'm not going to come down and heal nobody. I've anointed you to lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. So in other words, yes, he's doing the healing, but he's doing it through your obedience and through your action and through your hands. You got to deal with it. Say, I got to deal with it. Look, we, we, we like the Jesus that shows us mercy, but we have trouble with the Jesus that holds us accountable. The, the thing that destroys, I, I was thinking about this today, the thing that destroys a property I'll drive through, I drive, you know, I like to pray, I like to drive, I like to look at things, I like to see what's happening in our city and changes and different things. It keeps me abreast. And so, and so I'll look at properties, and there's a property that we looked at when we first came into town. We are pretty, pretty, I mean, it was quick to know that that wasn't going to be for us for a church, but I remember it. It's on College uh, Avenue, and it used to be a nightclub. Y'all might remember it. it it's it's um, uh, like... Um, what would that be, like 13, close to 13th in college, somewhere around, right where the trailer park is right there. And right, 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 right outside, there's a turquoise building. Y'all know what a building I'm talking about? And it was, used to be a nightclub right there. What are you pointing to your wife? She was at the nightclub? Oh, okay. I thought she was like, you know, you was there. No. I didn't know what you were doing. But that was B.C., before Christ. I got you. And so, <laughs> what's that? You used to work there? It was a what? Polka bar? Only you would work at a polka bar. What'd you do at the polka bar? Ladies night. Okay, all right. He didn't say that. Okay. My point is Bill. Elder Bill. So, so it was a nightclub. It's turquoise building right there. They painted it since then, but it used to be turquoise, and you used to work there. I didn't know that. So anyways, it was for sale, and this was back in 1999, uh, so we had been a church for a few months. I'm looking for places to, to land. And uh, by the way, that's our church. You know, our church started in 1999. So uh, interesting things. I'll talk about that when we get to the 20th. But my point to you is, is that, is that so we looked at ah, that's not, that's not really want to be. It's just not, it doesn't feel right. And it wasn't. Gonna... Do you know that building is still sitting there empty? And it was empty for a couple years before we got here. I had looked at properties and I noticed something that uh, the thing that destroys a property faster than people abusing it or people using it, just wear and tear, is simple neglect. Neglect will destroy something faster than if you used it on a continual basis. Here's the principle I wrote down today when I was praying about this whatever you neglect falls apart. From buildings to relationships. If you neglect your relationship with your husband, your wife, that marriage will fall apart. If you neglect your relationship with the Almighty, that relationship will fall apart. Whatever it is, 
Why? Because God gave you power, gave you authority to manage what he puts in your life. And whatever he puts in your care, in your hand, is up for you to take care of. Amen. You know I we laugh and kid around. We say, I know you want a new car, but until you're willing to take care of the car you got, why should you get a new one to ruin? Amen. Remember, God creates man to manage what he created. He put him in the garden to manage it. And he said, the Bible says there were seeds that were already in the ground because when God creates something, he creates it for life. But the Bible says that there was no rain, but God caused it not to rain on the earth. You can't blame the devil for the rain not happening in your life. Rain is favor. God did not favor the earth and water it. Why? Because there was no man to till the ground. So when he finds no one who's willing to manage what he's created, how can he favor it if you're not willing to work? If you're not willing to be responsible for what he gives you. If you're not willing to be accountable for the thing that you say you love. I'm preaching really good now. I'm going to give myself an offering tonight. Hallelujah. And by the way, we're still eating the seeds. From the seeds that got planted over 6,000 years ago, we're still eating those from those seeds, those trees, and so on and so forth. It's a cycle that continues as long as the earth remains. Seed time and harvest will remain. So Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father in Luke chapter 13. He's revealing the Father's heart and his Father's disappointment over not seeing an investment on the seed that he had sown. This bothered the Father. And Jesus is likening it to the Father God. It bothers God not to see an investment on what he has planted. Church, I don't know about you, but it's very difficult to continue to give to something that you don't see a return on. It's hard to pour into your marriage when it's a one-way street. It's very difficult to give to your children when they're disrespectful and rebellious. It's hard to bless your family members when all they do is take, take, take. It's hard to love your coworkers when they talk about you and you know it behind your back. It's hard when you expected much and got little in return. Now let me ask you, how long do you think you'd work for your employer tomorrow or this week if you weren't getting paid for the work you did? You might put up with it a week or two if you promise you it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. But I promise you, after a few weeks, you're going, I can't do this no more. Why? Because you know your work that you sow into that company is worth a harvest to you. You don't work for free. Not when it comes to taking care of your household, no. And how long, and I'm going to change gears for a second, and this is not talking about me, but I have a heart for pastors. How long can a pastor stay in a city that won't respond to the message he's been sent to preach? Well, he should just stay because God told him. He's a human being. How long? When he preaches and preaches, now he's in it for 25 years and still has to hold down a full-time job and come to church and do everything else and visit babies and take care of the people and visit the hospitals and make sure people are fed and taken care of and still get a word from God and then make sure his kids are taken care of and make sure he's done his first job and then he's doing Lyft at night and Uber at night just to make ends meet because the people of God won't rally around the vision. I don't like that kind of stuff. We need to be taking care of the men of God. We need to be taking care of the house of God. No God vision should ever suffer. If you sow, you should reap a harvest. 
I said, if you sow, you should reap a harvest. They said, well, how did you do it? They'll ask me all the time, how did you do it? Well, I've been full-time from day one. The reason why I did full-time is because I was already full-time in the ministry. So I was fortunate where I could come to this city, and I was paid for the first six months to be here. Now, I had other duties in, in Beloit, but then again, I didn't have a lot of duties here yet. We were a young church. So I took care of that full-time, and I was able to come here. But I was still in the framework of, of, of doing uh, ministry work. But in six months' time, I told the church, if you want to continue with this church, if you want me to be your pastor, it's not going to be something that's cheap. It's going to cost all. We had 30 people, 35 people. It's going to cost all of us to do this. If you could do this and do a little bit over your tithe and help us out, I can come on full time. Now, I only got paid twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 that first year. That's all I got. And that was by a miracle of the Lord. Because we didn't have enough pledges to come in. I had to trust God. My point is I made a decision. If I sow in your life, I should be able to reap a harvest back. We should be able to have this synergy back and forth. So I tell preachers, if they're not willing to give to you and give into the ministry, they don't even believe in you. Walk. There's somewhere else. The Bible says dust off your feet. Life is too short and move on. And they laugh at me, and that's easy for you to say, but I'm, that, that's how I feel about it. Thank God I take this stuff very seriously. If somebody souls into my life, I know they're doing something for me. I want to automatically do something back. And, and so it goes that way in every area of our lives. And even Jesus found it difficult, church, to nurture a one-sided relationship. Even he saw them taking and taking and taking and taking, and yet compassion keep pouring out, and compassion and compassion keeps pouring out, and they take and they take and they take because they're in need, and they're looking for help, and he knows it, but he's only one man. He's trying to whip these 12 guys into shape, and they got more questions than they have answers. They're not ready for ministry yet, but he's doing the best he can, and he's pouring out one man to thousands of people that are thronging for answers, and he's doing the best that he can. Take, 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 and nobody really is pouring back in. And then he says, until you're willing to drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part of me. The Bible says at that point, many walked away from him. They refused to sow seed back into the source they were taking it from because it got too hard. I don't give up my children just because it gets hard, do I? Then why do we give up on our kids? Why do we give up our marriages so quickly? Why do we give up on anything so quickly? We have a throwaway mentality. We've got to be like the farmer, wait patiently. If we sow the seed, it will bring forth a harvest. And my responsibility is to sow the seed, and my responsibility is to collect the harvest. Amen. The Bible makes it very clear in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I sow it, I reap it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. The Bible says you sow little, you reap little. You sow much, you reap much. You're going to reap, but it just depends on how much you sowed. That's a determining factor of what you get back. And so if I'm always sowing seed, I know that I'm going to have a plentiful harvest in my life. 
No one should ever be elevated at the expense of someone being diminished. Everyone needs to do their share. That's what the body of Christ is for. That's what we collectively come together for and unify around the vision for is so that we all pull our weight. That's my seed. I give it, and it's perfectly fine to give the way I give because I'm not required to be you, so I can only give my time, my talent, and from my treasure. But if I'll give my time, my talent, my treasure, and sow those things in, I get, I reap what? I redeem my time. Come on. My talent is exposed in a way that I can never, in other words, my talent is amplified until I'm doing better things than I ever thought I could possibly do. And also, my, my treasure is increased 30, 60, and 100 fold. It all goes back. It's a total cycle of seed time and harvest. Little seed produces great Harvest. Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Everybody say, I'm not a child. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. My, my responsibility is to supply for the church, supply for the kingdom of God. From whom the whole body, he said, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If we want our lives to grow, if we want this ministry to grow, we've all got to come together and pool our time, our talents, and our treasures. We cannot be a normal church. We're not called, faith is not called to be just another church. We're called to touch a world. Let me just tell you something. That's what we're called to do, but it cannot be. We cannot have 17% of the people pulling the weight in this church. If we're going to do, do great things, it's got to be 100% of all of us pulling together, saying we are called to be the body together to do great things. And that's why we're asking you to pray about your atonement offering, to get back to God, to get the priorities back with him. Trust me, I know when that happens, he gets involved, everything gets involved. This is how it works. And when that happens, what happens to us? We can take what God's given us, we pull together that offering, and we can advertise the ministry like we've never done before. And we need the city to know. We cannot be a light under a bushel. We must take the light and put it on top of the hill. And that's what we're going to do. So all of us coming together for a common good to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. Look, church, God has called us to be givers, all, always thinking how we can give. Why? Because that's natural. It's natural for a child of God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. Thank you so much for one person. How about this? Let's say it again. Freely you have received, freely give. Hoarders and takers are not the calling of the believer. Hoarding stuff for yourself, not what a believer is supposed to do. Being a taker, always taking from others and other systems, that's not God's best. But here's what's interesting to me. In Matthew chapter 10, we're supposed to give it all away, all of it. But look what it says in Luke 14, verse 16. Then he said to him, a certain man 
gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. Uh Uh-oh. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I asked you you to have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I asked that you have me excused. Still another said, I have... Uh, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house being angry. Look, this is what Jesus said. He became angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you've commanded. And still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He is very interested in filling his house. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. There's so much in this. I can't preach it all right now. But one of the things I do see, part of our, 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 our giving our time and our talent, is reaching out to people to bring them to the house of the Lord. He wants us. So a part of our responsibility is getting other people in seats next to us. Now, we can't make them stay, but we can at least expose them to the things of God. But that's not a one-time occurrence. It's all the time thinking in ways of how to fill God's house. So vital and important. But the master was saying, I wanted you to be first. I invited a certain group of people to come. And every single one of them had an excuse as to why they couldn't make it to church on Sunday. Every single one of them had an excuse why they couldn't come to the house of the master. He said, I wanted you to be first. Now you will be last. And others that weren't my first pick, but because I want my house filled, I want to invite them. And they'll come. And if they come, they'll feel favored. And they'll want to serve. And they'll want to be a part of it. Last shall be first. And the first shall be last. By the way, that's... That's what the tithe and offering is all about. Because as we deplete resources week after week to occupy this space, to reach the unreached, to build the church, to serve the city, uh, praying for people, getting people delivered, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing people hundreds and hundreds every year get saved, promoting revival, salvation, and healing, deliverance and restoration, it takes tithe and offerings to fill this house back up because resources are being expended. So every single week, we've got to take care of what needs to be taken care of so we can stay here for another week. It's about managing what God gives us. So every single one of us now become a manager in the house of God too to make sure things are put back and replenished. And that vision can continue to go forward. Do you understand that? So why can't we just be, this is cool what we're doing right now. Maintenance will destroy you. Maintenance alone means that you're going to slip backwards at some point. You have to have vision. Vision is the only thing that will keep you moving forward. Vision is forward momentum. A lot of people don't like vision because it requires something of them to get there. And if we're going to get to the next place in this ministry, it's going to require all of us to come together and we say, now we become responsible to manage the vision God's given us to fill this house. Let's get three services going. Let's, let's build some uh, uh, houses in this city for unwed mothers to go to. Let's, do, let's reach the poor. Let's build teams. Let's build churches all over the community. I would like to have a north side location. Everybody wants to say amen. And I'm not saying it's just, I'm not being little to you. Thank you for saying amen. But, but we remember, we 
it's not built on hot air. It takes work. It takes, com- it takes community and unity to come together, and it takes finances to do it. It does. Yes, it does. So, so he said, man, I wanted you to be first. The seed has to be planted for the harvest to continue. That's why every time we give tithe and offering, it's seed so that we continue the cycle. And there are seasons that we reap more. Now, guess what's happening? We're moving into a reaping season, are we not? Naturally, we are. But also, we're going into our productions. So now we're going to win people to Jesus. we got Over the Rainbow coming up on November 3rd. Is that right, guys? November 3rd. And then we got Scrooge coming up at, the, I think, the third weekend of, the, of December. Uh, we, got, we have uh, the live nativity. We're going to be winning people to Jesus. And then we got uh, Christmas. Uh, in, uh, we're changing something with the Christmas in Milwaukee thing. And it's going to be even better. And we're going to win people to Jesus that way. We, we've set our goals, and we're going to reach them.